The Puritan's Guide to Fall Songs Guide. Where Jimmy Bloomfield has been brought back to host Joust in Modernity. Tonight's song is... Last song! The song Backdrop, which was released on In a Hole uh, in 1983, late 1983, um, on Flying Nun. Uh, let's see. It was around the t- so this was around the time of Perverted by Language, I think. So th- that was released in 83. I can't remember if it was um, if they were on tour for Perverted by Language or if it was before then. They were. The they had recorded Room to Live. Uh, like weeks before the Australia New Zealand tour. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so yeah, um, the the album in a whole was mostly recorded by Chris Knox of the Enemy and Toy Love and Tall Dwarfs fame uh, during the fall New Zealand tour. Um, oh, and Chris Knox also did the cover for the album. Uh, <laughs> the album started showing up in the UK because it was supposed to only be in New Zealand. It started showing up in the UK, uh, which pissed Mark off. So he asked that uh, exports be stopped so none could be sent to the UK anymore from New Zealand via fl- Flying Nun. Uh, so basically this made the album in the UK like rare and expensive, and it put Flying Nun in a bad spot because it was selling really well, and it almost caused basically flying them to fold and uh it wasn't released officially uh in the uk i don't think until 2001 on cd or maybe the late 90s i think something like that so um 97 so yeah 97 so there you go um and so to talk about backdrop we have uh ryan in who also chose the song oh i guess i should say there's several versions on youtube like there's one in Manchester, one from Manchester in '82, one from Reykjavik in '82, um, and there was another one. But uh, so yeah, it, it was played for about a year, basically. Backdrop was, and it never made it onto a studio album, which w- what makes this all very interesting. So anyway, Ryan's our guest, and uh, he's gonna start us off on the discussion of, of Backdrop. <laughs> Why did you All pick right. this one? This is m- my favorite so- fall song, and um, I think I don't think they were ever better than um, that lineup. It, it's like a continuation of the Hex Induction Hour kind of sound, but it's 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 a very dynamic version of that, and uh, it it this whole period of the fall fascinates me. Um, what was going on after Hex Induction Hour where <laughs> they decided to do Room to Live? Um, yeah. So the lineup we're know. talking about here, we're talking about Craig Scanlon, Mark Riley, Stephen Paul Hanley, and Carl Burns, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's all five, right? It's the five plus Mark. Okay. And the double drummer yeah. lineup. And so is that is that's basically the lineup that had been around since Slates, I think. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Paul Hanley in there? Yeah. Correct. <clears throat> a very prolific period of the band, 
for sure. You know, they're, yes. they're cranking out a lot of music. And I, 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 is that part of the reason you, one of the reasons you like this era of the band so much, just because of the, the breadth of material they put out? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, like, Slates and Hex Induction Hour are my two favorite fall records. Um, yeah, so it seems like they had a lot of material backed up at that point. Um, their live shows they were doing uh, prior to recording Room to Live, they were doing, let's see, what did I have here? They were already doing Tempo House, um, Wings, Drago's Guilt. They had Backdrop. They had a few other songs that have shown up on re, uh, reissues that were only ever done live. Um, it seems strange to me that after, you know, just months after Hex Induction Hour came out, they recorded Room to Live. And Mark pointedly only brought in a few members of the band at a time to, <laughs> to record songs that they hadn't written yet. Um, <laughs> And it seems it's I guess you know it's the it's like the end of the Mark Riley period and I think he was he only played on like two songs on Room to Live so it seems like he was getting shut out of things. So that's probably why there was never a studio version of Backdrop. They um they kept playing it for like a year after Mark Riley was out of the band but um never never got to it in the studio as far as we know. And, and it was mm-hmm. it was a they would play this first at a lot of shows, right? Sort of opening things up and just stretching it out for, you know, yeah. a long time. Minutes on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the longest version that I found was the one from Reykjavik. Uh, it's like 12 and a half minutes or something like that. Yeah. Um, I think that version's on, God, I can't remember what it's called, but it's the Azure by... Gosh, you something. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <His> live album. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and yeah, I read somewhere that it was usually at the beginning, but it just so happened that the night they played it in New Zealand and it was recorded, they played it at the very end of the show. Yeah, like for the first time ever. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you'd maybe not want to put it in the middle of a set. <laughs> not with that not with that keyboard solo anyway yeah yeah <laughs> that's a bathroom break song yeah well it actually sounded like he kept messing with the plug-in like halfway that's what i couldn't figure out if it was like somehow the organ that was going or if it was like him like messing with the jack somehow like, it, it does it quite a bit during that song. I'm just like, ow, that's painful. Man. That's the way that. he plays the organ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like... <laughs> just smacking the jack, as they say. Sure. <laughs> so where did you come across uh, Fall in a Hole for the first time around? Were you already a, fan, a Fall fan by the time you got around to that record? Of course. <laughs> no it was the first fall record i heard um yeah no it when it when i guess when the reissue came out on cd i i think i'd heard that song on the there's a bootleg called backdrop that had that that version of the song on it okay i think i'd found that online but um 
Yeah, it's the same version that's on Fall in a Hole. It, yeah, and, and uh, legendarily, the CD issue of that uh, Fall in a Hole is the one that was like mastered from a vinyl copy, like a bad vinyl copy with skips yeah. and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, there's apparently a German counterfeit version of it that came out in the early '80s that is that also skips. So it might have been a. Oh, Mastered from the German vinyl. <laughs> so, um, anyway, go ahead. I found a tweet from uh, May of this year. Someone asked Mark Riley, uh, what do you think is the best song that you have written? And he said, uh, maybe leave the capital on slates or backdrop. Wow. So I found that kind of interesting. It, 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 it suggests to me that that was probably why they never recorded it. Was it that it was a Mark Riley tune, and uh-huh. he was asked not to be in the studio for the following album? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then there was a, a, a someone on the Fall Online forum said that they spoke with Craig Scanlon back in like '85 and asked why. They, there was no studio version of Backdrop, and he just said they were bored with it. Interesting. So, there's that, too. <laughs> By 85, I'm sure they were. I was just going to say, because they get the room to live, and that is when Mark throws a monkey wrench and everything. And I, and I think that you're right that it's partially Mark Riley, but I think it's also, like, after they did you know, the big hex induction hour thing. And it's like, okay, this is going to be our last album. So it's going to be our, you know, we're going to give it to our all. And then it became a hit album. And then Mark, and then Marky Smith's like, Oh shit, we need to do something else now. You know what I mean? Like he's always like, yeah, destroying it. And so I really think that was part of it too. I mean, I, that, that could be just super obvious, but I, I know that in the few things I've read, like in the big midweek and stuff, uh, where, um, Hanley's talking about like, yeah, and then Mark all of a sudden wouldn't invite the whole band in to do the album. It was only like one or two of us at a time, and you know, I think that that's part of it, probably too. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is um, a shame because it's a great song. So yeah, it's kind of a weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it seems like it. It, it would have made Room to Live a much better record, but. It's not what they were aiming for at that point. Yeah, what were they aiming for? <laughs> I, well, you know, it, it would have sounded like more of Hex Induction Hour. Well, so, yeah. Yeah, and sure. that's not really what Room to Live sounds like. So I, I get where Mark Smith is coming from on that. I had never really paid much attention to this song. I've never really spent a lot of time with In a Hole. Yeah. Uh, so I thought it was pretty. It was pretty a pretty great song to hear on there, like. Uh, and I'm really interested in the lyrics, which are pretty, which are actually kind of funny, and are part and are kind of one of like Mark's story song things in a way, which also goes back to kind of earlier days of Mark, uh, Marky e. Smith, uh, in his songwriting so like you know it's i mean i guess not earlier days because it's still around the time of garden and uh and things like that but it's basically like the basic idea of the song is like there's a a youth uh instructor 
um, who's high, and uh, oh, and and also possibly reptilian, which uh, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. somebody, which I'll bring this up now, but somebody brought up a David Ike, I think that's his name, the British reptile guy who thinks like reptiles are in control of the government. Oh, Do you know, okay. You know that dude, Bob? I don't know. I don't know the guy. I just um, when I was there was a show that I went to. At Holocene, it was that band Health, and whoever was opening up for them, and I forget who it was. Oh, really? Yeah, so they had, like, <clears throat> videos going uh, from YouTube that they had stitched together this video uh, showing, like, how you could tell in certain videos of famous people and politicians how you can tell that they're lizards. Just certain, <laughs> certain way, places that would stop the video and, like, look at his eyes, and right here you can see, you know, the scales coming through or whatever. So nice. I don't know, but, yeah, it's a fascinating thing. Well, David Icke seems insane, but what I thought was pretty funny was that he's actually British, which I never knew. He's British and was like a football player and was a sports announcer for a long time. Oh, wow. And then like and then like around 1989 felt like something was following him or like he had a bad presence around him or something. And then like somehow started writing books about uh, how some people are reptiles. I so, think, have we talked about this guy before? This sound, this is sounding a little familiar. I think we've talked about a lot of like horror writers before <laughs> right. on here, but so Ike is more of like a it's more of a real <laughs> conspiracy, life conspiracy theorist. theorist. Yeah, yeah, conspiracy theorist. Uh, there's also uh, the guy from High on Fire, like a couple of albums ago, was talking about how how he's reading a bunch of David Ike, and that's how what the lyrics are based on for like not like the album two albums ago or something so well it was done. just like oh that strangely <laughs> makes a lot of sense um anyway i so i just brought him up but but what happens it's because i thought that was funny but what happens in the song is basically you've got this uh sort of youth what is it oh the youth opportunities program so in in england instructor mm. and then it switches to like these weird things in the north of England in like the 1600s. So there's, there's, so he keeps talking about how the backdrop is switching. So it's like a time travel monologue in a way while this guy's uh, high, <laughs> basically. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but then at the end of the song, the, they all kind of fuse into a, a stinking morass of flesh. <laughs> As they across the do, timelines, yes. As they tend to do in yes. all songs, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but but I just thought it was really so. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting because it's a very Marky Smith sort of thing, like in his story songs, like era, which is around this time of yeah. him like doing that sort of horror thing. Um, but then it's got, but it's also got like these weird uh, pieces of British history. Yeah, in it as well. Um, so, like the Manchester Regiment uh, were Jacobite soldiers uh, in, in like 1720 or something like that. Um, the the so the YOP what is it? Youth the, Opportunities Program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was a UK government scheme for helping 16 to 18 year olds into employment, yeah. um, and it, uh, the Jacobite Rising. Uh, says, uh, I'm looking at the annotated fall. Um, oh, I am too. They recruited some 300 men in Manchester, mostly from the ranks of the unemployed. So it's, it's, right. it's, so it's, it works. 
of the unemployed across the decades. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fusing together. Thank you. I knew there was a reason I brought that up, and and that was it. Um, there was also a weird murder it, that takes place in this. Uh, so there's two things: the Metropole Hotel Hotel uh, in Catalina Island, California. Strangely, was the site of a famous murder in 1902. And then at the end of the note on the annotated fall, it's like, oh yeah, there's also a Hilton Metropole uh, in Brighton. Uh, that was mentioned in T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. I'm like, oh, that's yeah. probably that one, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know for sure. I'm so not I'm sure what's going on in, the, yeah. in, in that part of the song. <laughs> oh, I guess I guess in the Yorkies drifted 1902 Metropole. So, yeah, it might have been the 1902 thing. But uh, mm-hmm. anyway. Anyway, so yeah, it's just a, one of those weird, like, time-shifty... Weird. Yeah, it, I mean, he's there's some sort of parallel in the like he's talking about the rerun, which is your life. Um, something about mm. the exploitation of the unemployed, perhaps. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, um, it kind of fits in with other time travel songs or or like um, what various times mm-hmm. for says a different time period. The end, he says. Uh, you know, three places at once, time mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Recurring you know beef. <laughs> I thought the, the yellow pills in the Gordon's gin was pretty funny, too. Uh, I have no idea what that means. Is Gordon's the one with the beef eater on it? Yes. Okay. Are <laughs> beef eaters working class? Is this a Marxist sort of song? I gotta know. Have to have know more about English history. God damn it! To keep up with this podcast. <laughs> uh, I was also gonna say, like this album or this song is definitely like I know we've said this a hundred times. Like we all like it, but it's definitely like a rock song. Like they, you know. And it's definitely of the rock song ilk where they do the thing where they rock for a while and then it all <laughs> cuts out. Yeah. yeah. It all cuts out and he talks through a chorus or a verse or something and then they go back to rocking. So I don't know. Yeah. It's, 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 got, it's got some good dynamics. It's got some nice breakdowns. Yeah. That was what they did during this time period, I think, is more like rock, not rock for a while. And then like when they get in the poppier element era, it's more like two parts to the song. So like it might be loud <laughs> soft, but it, it's but it's two parts to the song no matter what it is. So you got an A and a B going constantly. So when Bricks comes in, she brings in the B part, I guess. I don't know. Maybe. Uh 